Well, good morning again, everyone, and welcome to Encounter. My name is Kyle, and I am so excited that I get to share this message with you this morning. But before I do that, I have to say a big thank you. Uh, If you were with us last weekend, we shared that our youth students, again, are going to never the same summer camp. And so last week, we kicked off our NTS camp fundraiser, and you have proven to be a generous church. When I got to Kentwood on Monday this week, I looked at the table display that's in the lobby, and all of the $100 envelopes were gone. Come on, somebody. And don't worry, we put more there this morning, all right? So we've got more envelopes for you. Uh, But seriously, whether you have given or you plan to give or you plan to partner with us in prayer, I want to know that your generosity is making a difference. Hear me. Because of your generosity, I get to look families in the eye and say, hey, that scholarship request that you had, guess what? Encounters got you. That scholarship's approved. You're going to NTS. I just wish I could bottle up that joy and excitement and share it with you because it's a beautiful moment. So thank you for your generosity in sending our kids to Never the Same Summer Camp. Uh, If you haven't already, I want to encourage you to stop by the table display um, after worship this morning. So if you know me well, you know that the past couple of months have been busy, to say the least. Uh, This year in February, my wife gave birth to our first child, our son, Jay. I think we got a picture of him. There he is. Look at those shades. Jay rolls in style. Uh, but I remember as we were getting ready, uh, as we were getting ready for him, so many of you said, you know, you're going to be changing diapers all of the time. You're going to have so much spit up on you, but it's okay. It's okay. I remember thinking, they're just exaggerating. Turns out, You were not exaggerating. (laughs) Turns out you knew exactly what you were talking about. I'm surprised that I don't have spit up on me this morning. But uh, this, I remember a mentor um, recently, he he encouraged me to start thinking about and writing down uh, our family values. Uh, He said that as Jay grows up, there's going to be a lot of things that you've got to teach him, but what's most important He said, I know this is crazy to think about, but one day Jay is going to drive off to college, and and what are the most important things you want to live in his heart? What are the three or four things that you want to live there uh, that impact how he sees and lives in the world? And so I've been thinking a lot about that as I've been uh, changing diapers, cleaning up, spit up, and rocking him at 4 a.m., praying, God, please just let him go back to sleep, right? But this idea... Is, is much like the message series that we find ourselves in uh, today, as we've been taking a close look at the Apostles' Creed. If this is your first time hopping in the series, the Apostles' Creed is essentially a summary statement of the Christian faith. Uh, it, it's, if you will, the three or four things, in this case, seven things that the early church leaders thought was most important. And if they could get what's most important in the hearts of Jesus' communities, really everything else would sort of just fall into place. And the Apostles' Creed, it's actually not written by the apostles. Instead, it's written by uh, church leaders years later based on what they heard from the apostles given what they heard from Jesus. And here's the section of the Apostles' Creed that we're going to take a look at this morning. It says this, he, speaking of Jesus, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. 
And the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Who here, uh, Fulton Knights as well, raise your hand if you like sports. Anyone, you like sports? Uh, we'll even include soccer today as a sport. I'm feeling generous. I'm going to pay for that later. Okay, who here, you don't like sports, you could care less. Like when you hear Super Bowl, you think of food and commercials. Yep, I know there's some out there. It's all good. Uh, but for me, I love sports. I always have. I probably always will. And for me, it's not just about playing the sport. It's about the life lessons that you learn as you are playing. I'll never forget one time after a Friday night football game, we go to this local restaurant. It was, you know how like, like Friday night football, everyone goes to the same restaurant for dinner after. And so we're at the restaurant, we're chilling, the place is packed. And before we know it, there's, there's this chatter that's starting to make its way through the restaurant. Uh, apparently, one of our players there had some bad history with someone else who was there, and they literally decided to take it outside. And, and I remember sitting there in the booth thinking, oh my gosh, if coach finds out about what's happening right now, we are all dead in the morning, right? So I remember the next day at practice, uh, we're getting ready for warm-ups, and like, we're all just looking around wide-eyed, like, where's coach? Does he know? Did someone tell him? What is this going to be? Uh, coach walks out of the locker room, and he's like, everyone circle up and start running in place, right? And his coach voice, and we're like, oh, God, someone told him. Here we go. And so we all circle up, and we start running in place, and we had to do down-ups for like an hour. For those of you who don't know what a down-up is, coach blows the whistle, you jump down to the ground, and you have to hop right back up. Now, listen, I would demonstrate to you, but I'm 31 now. <laughs> there might be a down, but there probably won't be an up. <laughs> but that day, I learned a valuable lesson. I learned this lesson right here. Life is not fair. Only one person got in the fight, but Every single person on the team had to pay the exact same price. Life is not fair. Listen, you don't even have to play football, like, like real football, not soccer. Real, that's besides the point. Uh, you don't even have to play sports to learn this lesson. In fact, this is a lesson you don't even have to teach your kids because life will just teach them for you, right? You know, maybe you've been on the receiving end of the unfairness of life recently. Maybe you were next in line for the promotion at work, and you worked your butt off for the promotion, and everyone in the company wanted you to earn or to get that promotion. But you had a meeting last month, and, and they decided to give it to the CEO's nephew. Like, who's this fool? He hasn't worked for this. He, he hasn't labored day in and day out for this. Why, why would they give it to him? That's not fair. Or maybe as summer rolls around, you're getting all these invitations to your college friends, their wedding, and you're alone in your apartment and you're wondering if there's ever going to be a day where you get to send out invitations. Or Mother's Day and Father's Day is coming up. And you're wondering when or even if there's going to be a day where you get to be celebrated on that day. Life is... It's not fair. You know, for all of us in this room, Fulton Heights watching online, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we've all experienced that, haven't we? 
Life's not fair. But how does this relate to the section of the Apostles' Creed that we read, namely the death of Jesus? How does that relate? I want to tell you three stories this morning. The first story is the story of Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh, to, to catch the story, you've got to go back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And in this story, God uh, makes his covenant with Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you and, and, and bless your children and the descendants that come after you. And you are going to be a blessing to the nations. And as you look at the genealogy, you have Abraham. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob, who later would have his name changed to Israel. Uh, Israel has a lot of sons. Uh, One of his name is uh, Joseph, and he has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Listen, if you ever can't sleep at night, start with Abraham. Try to make your way to Jesus. You will fall asleep every time. It works like a charm. But the part in the story that we're going to look at today Israel is grandpa in the story, and he's near the end of his life. In fact, the Bible says that he's ill. It says that his eyes are failing because of his old age, and he knows he's at the end of his life. And he knows there is something important that he must do. He knows that he is to pass on the blessing of God to his sons and to his grandsons, and this would have been a holy moment for the family. It's kind of like when, today when grandpa hands over the keys of his 1996 Chevy Silverado that's in mint condition. It, that moment is not a, hey, here's the keys. That's not how it goes, right? In that moment, grandpa says, ah, man, I've been looking forward to and dreading this day for a very long time. Here's the keys, grandson. Take good care of her. She's all yours. That's a holy moment, right? And that's what we find in the story with Israel. He would both dread and look forward to the day that he got to pass on the blessing of God to the next generation. Uh, In this moment, he would take time to remember the faithfulness of God. He would take time recounting the stories of when God had been faithful and generous to him and his parents and even to his grandparents. This was a holy moment. And there would come a time in this family meeting where he would say, okay, now is the time. I'm passing on the blessing to you. It's your turn. And here's what that moment would have looked like. Uh, Joseph, the son, he, he, he knows well what's going on. Uh, he would take, Joseph would take his two grandsons. He would take Ephraim, who's the youngest, and he would position him on Israel's left side of the body to receive his left hand of blessing. And he would position Manasseh, the oldest son, on Israel's right side of his body to receive the right hand of blessing. Now, why is that important? Because according to the culture and tradition of that day, the right hand of blessing, man, that meant that you got special privileges. That meant you uh, received a double portion of the inheritance. You had favor. You were set if you received the right hand of blessing. What about the left hand? What did you receive if you got the left hand? I don't know. Maybe a chicken or something? <laughs> right? It's like right hand, blessing, favor, inheritance, left hand. boy. I love you too. Just not as much as your older brother. 
Right? You can imagine Manasseh and Ephraim in this moment, right? As they're walking in, Manasseh's like, oh yeah, today's the day. Double blessing, inheritance, favor, let's go. Ephraim is like, this is stupid. Just give me my chicken and be on with it. <laughs> and so the moment comes. Israel, what little strength he has left, he leans up in his chair and he's getting ready to bless his grandsons. And Joseph knows what to do. He puts Ephraim on the left side and Manasseh on the right. And here's what the text says. Check it out. Verse 14. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he puts his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Manasseh's like, Grandpa, whoa, 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 what are you doing? It's me, Manasseh. I know your eyes are failing you, but I'm the firstborn. I get the right hand of blessing. I get the favor. I get the double portion. It's me, Grandpa Manasseh. Ephraim probably leans over to his older brother. I hope your chicken runs away. (laughs) What does Israel do? He crosses his arms. What's meant for Manasseh is given to Ephraim. And what's meant for Ephraim is given to Manasseh. That's not fair. The second story that we're going to look at today It's a day that happened once every year. It's a day the Jewish people called the Day of Atonement. So if we're part of the Jewish people back then, uh, let's just kind of play as if we are. Uh, If we're part of the Jewish people, uh, here's what would happen on that day. Um, We have on our family calendar a, a lot of rituals, celebrations, and festivals, but perhaps no day is more important than the Day of Atonement. In fact, on this day, they would shut the whole community down, right? No businesses were open. No one's working in the kitchen. No one's working in the field. All of God's people, all the Jewish people have gathered in Jerusalem to experience and partake in this very special day, the Day of Atonement. Um, and, And here's why. Here's why they would all gather. Um, We're just going to go Old Testament nerd on ourselves for just a little bit. Is that cool? So here's why they would gather uh, every single year on this day. It's because on this day, the high priest would enter into a room called the Holy of Holies. Okay? Um, um, The Jewish people, they had the temple in Jerusalem, and uh, this is where God's presence dwelt. Most specifically, it dwelt in the Holy of Holies. You see, the God of Israel, what separated him from all of the other gods is that God dwells among his people, and this is where he would do so. So on the Day of Atonement, right, everyone would gather, and they would watch the high priest perform the ritual. Uh, And here's what would happen. They would take two goats. The first goat, again, as everyone's watching, uh, he he would take it, he would sacrifice it, And he would bring that blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. And what this was, uh, it was, it symbolized the death of an innocent one in place of a guilty one for the payment of sin. Now this is important to grasp. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we said we have two goats, right? That's the first goat. What happened to the second? Yeah, he wasn't so lucky either. 
So again, as everyone is watching, the high priest would take the second goat, he, was, he would lay his hands on his head, and he would confess the sins of Israel, symbolically transferring the sins to this goat, and he would send the goat into the wilderness, never to be seen again. This is weird, right? <laughs> this, is, this is some strange stuff. So why would they gather every single year to experience this festival? Why would they come to experience this? Two reasons. Number one, God's holiness. And number two, the sins of the people. Uh, We sang a song just a few moments ago that God is holy. And the Greek word there is hagios, which means that he is separate, he is other, he is pure, he is righteous, he is just. There is no fault, stain, or sin in him. He is holy. Uh, His holiness is not part of his attributes. Holiness is the perfection of all of his attributes. And the people knew then, and perhaps we understand now, that we're not without sin. And it's this sin that separates our relationship with God, and that sin must be paid for. Unlike our child's goldfish cracker crumbs, we cannot sweep sin under the rug. It must be dealt with. And really, that's why when you look at the Day of Atonement and really the whole Old Testament sacrificial system, that is an act of God's mercy. Why? Because it allows his people to enter back into relationship with him. But there's a problem. And if you and I are part of the Jewish people, and we partake in this festival, we would be reminded of the problem the moment that we left the celebration, right? Let's just say we're cousins at this event, right? When when we would go home, we'd be like, hey man, good to see you today, right? So glad we could hang out, glad you and your family are doing well, so good to be together. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm gonna see you next year, right? Same time, same place, yeah, bring the kids. All right, we're gonna see you next year, be blessed. I'll see you. Why did we have to say that? Why did I have to say, I'll see you next year? Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Check it out. He says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can, what's that word? which can never take away sins. That's a problem. If the blood of goats couldn't take away sins, what did it do? It pushed the sins forward. And so while the Jewish people didn't stand guilty of their sin, their sin remained still there. Somebody's got to pay for it. Somebody. But who? third and final story, the story of Jesus. You know, I imagine there was a time before Jesus enters the womb of his mother that he's with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and they're looking at humanity, and they see how lost we are. They see how far our hearts have been removed from the heart of God, and they say, somebody's got to go save them. Jesus says, I'll do it. I'll go, send me. And as the creed goes, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit 
born of the Virgin Mary, and suffers under Pontius Pilate. Jesus is betrayed by the very people he came to save. The creed skips this over, but Jesus has a three-year public ministry where he performs miracles. Uh, He tells the blind to see. He tells the lame to walk. He casts out demons. And as you can imagine, that created a pretty big following, right? Every time Jesus would show up to preach, standing room only. And there's a group off in the distance, watching, listening. It's the religious leaders, You see, to them, Jesus has stolen their following, and he needs to be dealt with, if you know what I mean. And so, in this epic scene, the religious leaders have an army go and arrest Jesus. And in that scene, Peter, one of the the disciples, he pulls out a sword. He's like, we're not going down without a fight. And And he cuts the guy's ear off. Jesus is like, Peter, put your sword away. Jesus grabs the ear and puts it back on the guy like nothing happened. And Jesus says something profound. Matthew chapter 26, here's what he says. He says, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once Put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. 12 legions of angels, that's more than 80,000 angels who are prepared to do a lot more than just cut off someone's ear. He says, Peter, put your sword away. This is why I've come. Jesus is arrested. And he's handed over to Pilate, a governor of Rome. You see, for the Jewish leaders, they had the power to declare someone guilty but they did not possess the power to issue the death penalty. That's why they needed Pilate. They needed Pilate to do their dirty work. And so as Pilate's examining him, he's like, I don't see any reason for charging him. What crime has he committed? But the religious leaders shout louder and louder, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate has no other choice but to agree to their unjust demands. And he hands Jesus over to be flogged and crucified. And Jesus is beaten so severely that he physically can't carry his cross to the place where he would be executed for the whole world to see. And as he's there hanging on the cross, these are his final words. Jesus said, it is finished. With that, He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Question, why did Jesus have to die? Answer, it's because he wanted to take something that only he could take. And he wanted to give something that only he could give. You see, no matter how many goats were sacrificed, They would have to do the same thing day after day after day, year after year after year. Why? Because the blood of goats could never take away the sins of the people. What did they do? They pushed the sins forward, forward to the day when Jesus would stand on a cross and say, it's finished. Can you see it? 
Jesus. He is our perfect sacrifice, the spotless lamb of God. And when he's on the cross and says, it is finished, he spills his blood on Calvary and his blood that is shed is sufficient to appease the wrath of God. And listen, justice is served. On the cross, Jesus says, I want to take something that only I can take. He says, let me take your sins. Let me take them past, present, and future. Let me take your sins. He says, your blood can't pay for it. Goat's blood can't pay for it, but my blood can. Let me take your sins. And then he says, I want to give you something that only I can give. He says, I want to give you my righteousness. Scripture declares that he who has no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Can you hear me, friends? On the cross, Jesus says, I want to take your sin and I want to give you my righteousness. What is the Father doing as he's looking down from heaven? What is he doing? He's crossing his arms. Can you see it? Just as Israel with his grandsons Manasseh and Ephraim. So God the Father looks down from heaven and he, he crosses his arms. See, the wrath of God that was meant for man is poured out on Jesus. And the righteousness of Christ that is meant for Christ is poured out on man. God crosses his arms. Listen, this is the greatest act of love ever recorded in human history and it's entirely unfair. God's unfair. If God was fair, he would have given you and me what we deserve. That is punishment for our sins. But somebody ought to thank God in this place because he's not fair, because he's generous, because he's merciful, that he doesn't give you what you deserve. No, in his grace and mercy, he gives you what you don't deserve, the righteousness of Christ. Hear this, church. God is not fair. He's better than fair. He's generous. And Jesus says, I'll prove it. Here's my blood. That's good news. The Apostles' Creed. It's a summary of our beliefs. Why does it skip over the public ministry of Jesus? Where he performs miracles, he heals people, delivers people from demons... Why, why, would, why would we skip over that and get right to the death of Jesus? Here's why. It's because it's not just a story. It's the story. And it's your story. If you are in Christ, if you said yes to following him, when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see the stain of your sin he sees the sacrifice of his son. He sees the righteousness of Christ. You know, a few weeks ago, I wanted to teach this important truth to our youth students. And so on a Wednesday night, we did something that we've never done before. When the students walked in, we actually, we gave them money. This might come as a surprise, but we had a lot of kids show up the next week. <laughs> Before that night, what we did is um, we went to all the stores and we bought a bunch of stuff. Chick-fil-A gift cards, Starbucks gift cards, donuts, candy bars. We even had this one prize where if you won, uh, we were going to bring pizza to your school uh, for lunch for you and your friends. And so here's what we did. We, we gathered in the youth room and uh, we put all the prizes in a basket. 
and we drew out the prizes one by one, and the students with their money, uh, they could bid on the items for what they wanted. It was fantastic to see, by the way, um, and they got to bid on what they wanted. And so the, the first item out of the basket, a box of donuts. Middle school boys go nuts. Oh, one dollar, two dollar, three dollars. Just give me the donuts. They, they had, they did not even care what was left in the basket. They just wanted the donuts, right? Uh, second item out of the basket, uh, just a small candy bar. One dollar. No? Fifty cents? All right, fifty cents sold. Fifty cents. Third item, Starbucks gift card. Girls in the front row jump up, wave their money, give me the gift card, and they're right here. It was you guys, wasn't it? Yep, it was, right? Give me the Starbucks gift card, take all my money. (laughs) I'll never forget that moment. But what were we trying to teach them? We're trying to teach them that the value of something is determined by how much someone is willing to pay. The value of something is determined by how much someone is willing to pay. Question for you. How much was Jesus willing to pay when he looked at you? Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. Don't you know that I can call on my Father and at once he will send more than 80,000 angels to put at my defense? No one takes my life. I freely give it. You see, in that moment, I think Jesus has you in his heart and on his mind. And he looks at you and he says, you are so valuable that I'm willing to give myself even if it means death on a cross. You see, the Jewish leaders saw the cross as a way to get rid of Jesus. Jesus saw the cross as a way to get you. Here's my hope and my prayer for us. Tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up. And to get ready for the day, you're going to go in the bathroom, you're going to look in the mirror. Whether you're getting ready to close a big deal or you're getting ready to wake up the kids, my hope and my prayer is that when you look in the mirror, that you simply might see the value that God sees. That you might see the person who Jesus looked at and said, you are worth it even if it means death on a cross, you're worth it. Friends, God is not fair. He's better than fair. He's generous. I'm gonna have you stand with me as we get ready to close. Fulton Heights, you can stand as well. As we've been concluding this, uh, this message series at the end, uh, each time we've recited the Apostles' Creed together, and that's what we're going to do here this morning. Uh, Fulton Heights, I encourage you to uh, join us as well. Uh, so here's what's going to happen. We're going to have the words on the screen. I'm going to, because I have the mic, I'm going to start, and then we're going to join voices together, and we're going to say the Apostles' Creed, and then after that, we'll worship.
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Father, this morning we pray and we say thank you. Thank you for this this story, this life-changing, life-giving story that when you look down from heaven, you would see so much value in us that Jesus, you would say, let me go. Let me go. I love them so much. I want to pay a debt that they could never pay so that we could be in relationship together. God, thank you for your sacrifice. And thank you that in you, we are the righteousness of Christ. God, I pray for all of us gathered here today. We might claim that as our identity. We might walk in that purpose. And we would be reminded of your love and your grace and your mercy for us each and every single day. In Jesus' name, amen.